Thank you for joining us for this message today. If you're new to the church or want to connect in any way, check us out at harborcitychurch.org. We would love to connect with you. Thank you so much. And with that, let's jump into the message. Glad that you all came out today. It's like we got a lot of people here. I'm happy to be here today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jimmy Hargrove, so welcome um, here. I get the privilege of speaking today uh, instead of our pastors, uh, Pastor Doug Cotton, who is here walking around with the walker. He just had knee surgery on his other leg, uh, I think on his uh, your right leg this time, Pastor Doug. Yes, yes, on his right one. So he's now got two brand new knees, and he's going to be out there on the golf course before he knows it, which he has missed. <laughs> but I get the privilege of sharing uh, God's word with you today, and I'm excited about it. Um, how many of you had a good week? Or not such a good week? You know what? It doesn't matter. God is still good. God is still on your side, whether you've had a good week or a bad week. I've had kind of a, a bit of both. <laughs> I've had some good things happen. I've had some bad things happen. But I know that God is working in the midst of it all. Um, and I know he's with me when I'm on the mountaintop and when I'm in the valley low. He is still there. And I just want you guys to know that for your uh, situation as well. So we're going to get into it here. Um, just to kind of recap... Uh, what we have been doing the last few weeks. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and so far we have gone through the first uh, three chapters. Pastor Doug went through kind of an overview with chapter one, and then uh, Tracy Ford went through chapter two, and then last week online, uh, Pastor Cameron went through uh, chapter three. And um, those first three chapters kind of just kind of go over our identity uh, as believers, like who who we are in Christ and and what He has done for us, that you know all of us, regardless of how good we think we are, we all, are all sinners and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that basically, and it, it says I can't remember which verse, but all of us don't do good. the The good that we do is immeasurably short of what needs to take place for us to be in right standing with Jesus and to be in right standing with God. But God, so rich in his mercy and in his grace, sent his son Jesus, knowing that on our own, we could never get there. Even Jesus says, you know, it's easier for an camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to uh, come go to heaven. And so his disciples are like, well, that's impossible. And Jesus is like, exactly. It is impossible. On your own uh, accord, it's impossible to get to God. That's why I sent my son Jesus to make a way where there was no way on your behalf. And so we've been learning about what, like, what it actually meant, what the work of the cross actually meant for us, how it it justified us, even though we committed the crime, even though 
We are not good. We are justified. We're in the courtroom and we are guilty. But yet, God says we are justified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because that took place, we are now part of his family. And our identity is in him. We are part of God's family. And we are heirs to everything that Jesus has. Like, we are part of his family. Like, when you're born into your, your um, family, and I know some of you have, um, and my, my dad at one point, he had an aunt pass away, and he was an heir to some of her, her and he had an inheritance. And because we are made part of God's family through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are heirs. We get an inheritance unlike any other. We get an eternal uh, glory. We get eternity with him. And so that's what kind of these first three chapters are hitting on that. What Jesus did for us, what that means for us, who we are, we are not defined by what we do uh, vocationally. We are not defined by, you know, our past mistakes. We are defined by our loving Savior that we are sinners saved by grace. Every one of us, we are sinners saved by grace. So, what does that mean? I get to speak to you today on Ephesians chapter 4. Now that we know what has been done for us and who we are because of that, what does that mean? What does that mean in how we live our life as believers? So, as we go into this next section of, and so chapters 4 through 6 actually kind of speak to that fact. And I get to lead us into that today, that now that we know who we are and what Jesus has done for us, what does that mean for, for us in everyday kind of living? And so I'm just going to kind of jump into the text today. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, after knowing what you now know, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that's the first three, three verses there. Peace is what binds us together around the one thing that we all have in common, which is Jesus. The fact that we are all sinners saved by grace Sinners saved by the blood of Jesus. That is the one thing that we have in common. And we need that to come together to be unified as one. So peace comes not by thinking exactly the way another person thinks. I know that just out here, we're all believers. We all love God. But there are still many different opinions about many different things. We all like different things. We all have different hobbies. And we're all not going to like the same thing. We're gonna all going to have different opinions about things. Peace isn't found in commonality with each other. That is not where peace is, is found. Peace is found, if you look in just verse 2 there, by being humble, by being gentle, by being patient, and by bearing with one another in love. That's not easy sometimes. Especially for those of us who have young children, you know that it can be kind of hard to bear with the little people that you have in love. 
And this is speaking to, this is not bearing with them kind of like a grin and bear it like, mm, I love you, but I really don't like you right now. This is no, bear with them in love because, uh, you know, Christ bears with us in love. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, I love you, but I really don't like you right now. Which he would have every right to do. And so it's easier, especially in, in a family setting, when you get to know each other a little bit better, you're spending more time around each other, and you're spending, yeah, just more time with each other. You're getting to see how people think. You're getting to see how people live. You're getting to see all the little things that they do, good and bad and annoying and frustrating. And the more you hang out with people, the more little things that you tend to pick up on annoy you. And so it's all the more important that you need to bear with each other in love and not just not, not act like those things don't exist, but don't focus on those things and realize that you too have those things as well that are annoying them. <laughs> that they're not perfect, but you're not perfect. So we need to bear with each other in love for that bond of peace that creates unity. One of the things that, you know, <laughs> especially as a, a family with young kids, um, one thing that is hard to ignore, and you're not necessarily supposed to ignore it, but one thing that is hard to get past is the mess that just kind of flows from the tails of young kids. Like It's like you turn one way and you clean up a mess, you turn the next and they make another, and it's just like, oh my gosh, Like how many times do I have to tell you your shoes and your coat don't go right in the middle of the kitchen where I'm trying to make you food so that you'll stop screaming at me? <laughs> so I get it. It's, it's hard sometimes to look beyond the annoying things and to bear with each other in love, but it's so important that we do so. And I'm going to illustrate why it is here in just a moment. I'm going to read um, now going into verses 4 through 6. The reason why we need to bear with each other in love and be humble and patient and gentle is so that we create that bond of peace that brings us together in unity. And verses 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Now, I don't know if you caught that right there, but in those three scriptures, the word one is used seven times. And I think Paul is trying to illustrate the importance of oneness that our God is one he is unified together three in one and this this word for one it, it just means one not separate not different parts but one being one and he's illustrating that because he's trying to illustrate to us that the body of Christ we also need to be one like our Heavenly Father is one. We need to be in unity, loving each other, bearing with each other in our differences. 
so that we are one like the Father is one. And I want to illustrate this a little bit further. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus goes on to pray. He's praying for his disciples and for the, the church. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking about his disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that, I want you to get this, this is so important right here, as he's praying for us, for his church to be one, as he and his father are one, I want them to be one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then, when we are brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Why is it important for us as a body of believers to be in complete unity? It's right there in Jesus' prayer. It's the gospel. It's so that the world will see that God sent Jesus so that they would know his love. That's why we need to be unified. Because if we're complaining and bickering and having divisions amongst us, we're just looking just like the world. And the world won't know the difference or won't recognize the difference between us and the world and won't see the importance of why we serve God, the importance of what Jesus has done for them. But if we live in unity, then they will recognize, the world will know when we come into unity, the world will know that you sent me. Jesus saying that, then the world will know that God sent Jesus and Jesus loves them. Isn't that what this is about? Isn't that why Jesus created the church? So that the world would know that he came for them, that he loves them, that he died for them, so that, that they could be set free. That is why we exist. So that the world will know his love. I want to take this a little bit uh, further here. So it's important that we be unified and we know that it's difficult at times. And Jesus even knew that, and, in, in, and speak, Paul speaks to that here actually in, a verse, in verses 11 through 13. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, re we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness 
of Christ. So Jesus knew it was going to be difficult. Sometimes it's hard to love each other. Sometimes it's hard to look past the toys on the ground, the Legos that you just stepped on that you said to be picked up a million different times. So he gave us some people to help us remember why we're here, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the one thing that we're all supposed to be unified around, instead of our eyes on all the little different things that could bring division in our life, that could uh, bring uh, bitterness, that could bring separation. There's lots of different things, and you can see it out in the world today. Many different issues and things that are tearing people apart, that are tearing families apart, that are tearing our nation apart. But there's one thing that we can all come around and that we should come around and be unified in, and that is Jesus. That we are saved by grace. Now, I recognize you're not a perfect person out there. There's things that annoy me about you, but I, I recognize also that you're a sinner saved by grace. And I hope you recognize the, the same about me. I'm sure there's things about me that annoy you. But I hope you also recognize that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I hope that we can be unified around that. And I want to dig deeper a little bit into this unity thing. A little while ago, I was uh, reading through the book of Leviticus. And it's a book about uh, a lot of the festivals that they celebrated. And I was just reading through. And I came across uh, Leviticus 26.8, which states... Uh, Five of you will pursue a hundred. I don't know if maybe some of you have read this verse before, but five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you will, will pursue ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Now, for those of you who are not math whizzes, the uh, multiplication factor between five and a hundred is different between a uh, hundred and ten thousand. Five and a hundred, if you can figure that out, five times 20 is a hundred. So that's 20 times the effectiveness when a group of five people are unified. But a uh, hundred to 10,000, that's a hundred times. So it's like compound interest as the, the unity grows. And I kind of did some math a little bit here. And if there was a hundred people, but they were in unified groups of five, so that, that unified group of five that can put to flight uh, 100 people, they would put to flight 2,000 people. But if that same 100 people were completely unified as 100 people, they put to flight 10,000. You see how the effectiveness grows the, the, the more we become unified? And I even factored this out a little bit farther. Groups of 400 if it was just in groups of five, would be, uh, I think it was like 50,000. But if it was a group of 400, that's about the size of our church, completely unified, that's 136,000. See how the effectiveness of our unity is carried out. The more we become unified, the greater our effectiveness is for what? Going back to John 17. So that the world will know that God sent Jesus and that they will know that Jesus loves them.
it is vital that we work on this thing called unity. It's not just something that is like kind of a side issue. No, it's vital that we work on this thing called unity because the more we become unified as a church, as the church, not the Catholic church, not the, our non-denominational church, not the Presbyterian church, but as the church, it's staggering the effectiveness we will have to impact the world so that they will know the gospel. I mean, that's exciting. You know what? Satan knows this. <laughs> Satan is actually one of the probably the most knowledgeable on Scripture. And he knows the effectiveness that Christ's church will have if we are unified. That's why he tries to get us focused on all the little things that can bring division. He tries to get us to focus on the messes. He tries to get us to focus on the differing of opinions that each other has. And, well, they don't think like me, so uh, I guess I can't just really agree with them. And so we'll, we just won't hang out. And No, he wants us to focus on all those little things because he knows how effective unity is. And he knows what's at stake through our unity. And he wants to disrupt that. Ephesians then goes into um, a little bit in the latter verses here, 17 through 32, on kind of how to live, you know, your life. And you're going to learn more about this on a day-to-day, -day, how we're supposed to live our life. And you'll learn more uh, next week and the week after. Um, but uh, I'll touch on it a little bit right here very quickly because I know it's nice and I'd like to get out too. But uh, we are called to love not as the world does. You know, Christ asks us to love our enemies, to pray for those who hate us, and uh, to live differently, to put our past life behind us, to not live like the world lives. And so how do we do that? Well, Ephesians 4.23 says, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And that's in the, the New International Version. And the New King James Version says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Romans 12.2 also says it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how do we change our behavior, how do we change the way we used to live and used to do things, the way the, that the world still lives and still does things? We first have to change the way we think. We have to renew our mind. And that word for renew means like to renovate. I don't know how many of you have watched home renovation shows, but when they go in and, and actually renovate a house, they tear it down to the studs. Like they get rid of everything, get rid of all the old so that they can start to build upon the, with the new. And I, my, I believe that when we come to know Jesus, he already gives us those bones to build upon. He gives us the studs and the foundation to build upon. 
but then we need to get rid of that old thinking so that we can rebuild with new thinking. And how do we do that? How do we think new? How do we rebuild with new thinking? Well, by knowing what God thinks. And how do we know what God thinks? By reading his word. To get the world's thinking out of us, we have to stop consuming what the world is telling us through the different media outlets, the news, the TV shows, the music. And we start have to read how God thinks and get that inputted into us. And when you start to think different, then you're going to start to live different. It doesn't just happen. Your actions are not going to just change. You're not just going to start to live a different life this minute you ask Jesus into your heart if you're going to still think the same way. You're going to still do the same things you do if you're thinking the same way. So to think differently, you have to know how God thinks and begin to think like he thinks. And you've got to do that by reading his word. And when you do that, when we do that, when we start thinking the way God thinks and living the way that he has called us to live, we're going to live unified so that, again, we can be the unified church so that the world will know that Christ loves them. And finally, as I kind of wind down here, uh, I even posted this this week, but Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let in any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, again, in that spirit of unity, build up, don't tear down. Guard your heart, guard your mouth. I, <laughs> I think I even posted it with the, uh, the, the Disney caption of Thumper the Rabbit, if you guys have ever seen that. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. But let whatever comes out of your mouth build. Build each other up. Don't discredit or, like, what God has given them. Build them up. Speak to and point to and encourage them in the gifts that God has given them. People, I, you know, myself, I like it when people encourage me when they speak life into me. I don't like it when people yell at me and, and point at all, me, all my failures and flaws. Thank you very much. I, I know that. <laughs> I, I know I've got little weird quirks and stuff and, and things that I'm not perfect at. And I'm working on them. And I'm hoping that you will all bear with me in love as I work on them. And as I try to get uh, closer and closer to that perfection that Christ uh, desires for me. But in the meantime, let's love each other. Let's speak life to each other. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other so that we can be as strong as we possibly can be, so that we can be as unified as we possibly can be, so that we can be the unified church that can put, and I even multiplied it out, if it was the Church of Grace Harbor, completely unified, which I think was about 5,000. I think that might be a low number, but it's something like a billion Five thousand completely unified would have the effectiveness of reaching or setting to flight a billion people. The effectiveness of our unity as we build each other up, as we come 
around the one thing. Let's focus on the one thing that unifies us. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen? So, Paul then ends, and it all comes to kind of like, yeah, a head right here where it's all kind of summed up in this. The very last verse of Ephesians 4 is uh, verse 32, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. That is so good, yet so difficult. How did Christ forgive us? He no longer holds our past against us, our sins against us. We are washed white. We are clean. This is not a forgiveness where we take the offense, we dig a pit, we throw it in there, and we forget about it until it is done again, then we dig it back up and we throw it in that person's face. That's not the type of forgiveness that Christ gave us. He threw it completely away into the sea of forgetfulness. No longer does he hold our past transgressions against us. And when we fall in the same thing that we've done over and over and over again, He doesn't stand over us, shaking his head in disappointment. Or say, well, you did it again. He doesn't do that. That past sin is forgotten. He stands over us with an outstretched hand. And says, get up. You can do this. How... Are we supposed to forgive like Christ forgave us? If we did that, if we truly forgave our brothers and our sisters like Christ forgave us, there's no possible way that it wouldn't breed unity. And there's nothing quicker that kills unity than unforgiveness. So it's imperative that we bear with one another in love. It's imperative that we forgive each other like Christ forgave us. It's imperative we do this so that we can be unified, so that the world will know the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to go into a worship song, and then we'll close. Thank you for joining us today. We have a lot of great resources for you over at harborcitychurch.org. Come check us out, and I hope you have an awesome week.